You're going to remember this every day for the rest of your life. If you want to get to a goal, if you want to get to your dream, you got to focus on all the little steps. You have to put in your time. You have to be patient and you have to enjoy the process. Whatever you're doing now, whatever you want to be great at, whatever you want to be special at, I'm sure you, you may be already be good at it, but to be extraordinary, you have to do extra. I firmly believe that we are all here for a very specific reason, to do something truly extraordinary. But what are you going to do to get there? Welcome to the Magna Method Podcast, and I am very fortunate to sit down today with Coach Ryan Horn, the performance coach, the performance coach from Wake Forest University. Welcome to the show, Coach. Thanks for having me on, Mark. I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm humbled by it. Really, I, I'm, I've been excited. Uh, I've been uh, connected with Coach Horn through social media. This is one of the reasons I appreciate social media. There's a lot of reasons I don't like social media. This is one of the reasons I, I appreciate social media. Uh, I've connected with him many a times on each on uh, Instagram, and I met Coach Horn at the Sornex conference, which I think is a great conference, and um, just a good guy, great coach, well-respected, and uh, it's really a treat to have him on the show, so thank you once again. Coach Horn, yes, Coach Horn, tell us about your start athletically and then transitioning into college um, and then how you ended up where you are today. I know the pathway, but I want to take them through the timeline to give them a better understanding that these things don't happen overnight. Yeah, I'll keep the uh, timeline brief. One thing I appreciate about podcasts is when you know we get straight to the business. So I know people don't want to sit here and listen to, listen to my bio for 10 minutes, so I won't try to rant uh, very too much. Uh, but yeah, I mean, for me, it kind of, I think our, my coaching career kind of started back in high school. Uh, my brother was a competitive bodybuilder, um, got bit by the iron bug early and uh, I was fortunate enough to get drugged along to the weight room with him. Um, so that was kind of my first exposure. I trained a lot of my friends during high school playing, you know, a multitude of sports. Uh, but I was the guy who was always kind of searching and wanted that find that, that Holy grail, that answer for myself. So I did that all through high school, helped some friends out along the way. Um, and then when I left there, I went to college, played football. Um, you know, I, I say that briefly because, uh, you know, dealt with some injuries and I wouldn't really consider uh, my playing career in sports to be successful, but I do think it was beneficial. Uh, even though it was a, a certain level of adversity, I think a lot of things that I took from that helped prepare me for my, my path that I'm on right now. Um, so throughout college, I mean, I, I kind of stayed with it. I always loved to train. I always loved to prepare. That was something, you know, all across my life that I really had control over. It was something that was a direct uh, reflection of the work that I put in. So therefore, it was very near and dear to my heart. So I continued with that. Uh, actually stopped playing football my junior year. Uh, went home. My wife and I, who we've been together since middle school, um, so it's going on 20 years now. Uh, my wife and I actually were expecting our first son. So I moved back, um, got a full-time job, went to school full-time. Um, didn't want to give up my goals and aspirations to be a strength conditioning coach because that's what I've always wanted to do since ninth grade of high school. Um, so, yeah, I kept working, um, kept plugging along, really didn't have a network, didn't know anybody, um, sent out a, a ton of emails, made a ton of phone calls. Nobody returned them. Uh, but luckily, uh, after a little bit of, uh, you know, attrition, uh, Todd Hammer uh, at the time was at George Mason University. Um, he returned my phone call, was the first person to do so and offered me an internship 
and that internship kind of sparked everything from that moment on. So I think looking at what we do now, that's why, you know, I think I'm so adamant as a professional to return calls, to respond to messages, to, to be as generous as I can because I've been in that situation where, uh, you know, no one did that for mm-hmm. me. Uh, and I think that's important to push that along. So, yeah, I worked with Todd Hammer at the time at Robert Morris University, left there. He introduced me to Tim Contos, who basically gave me a graduate assistant position at Virginia Commonwealth University. Um, and I was actually made full-time there after about seven months, stayed there for five years, went to Robert Morris University, um, was there for three years, went through two head basketball coaches, two ADs, um, went over some turnover there, but luckily enough, I was able to stay on, met Coach Manning, worked for Coach Manning for two years, and then we left and came to Wake Forest, and now we're starting our, our fourth season. Um, so that's kind of the uh, short and brief version of the bio. Try to keep that quick. No, I appreciate that. It was amazing. Thanks for uh, keeping it tight. Coach, why basketball? Why basketball? I think basketball for me was just an opportunity. Um, I got, you know, I, I kind of set out in this profession just to coach. Um, and I was just looking for opportunities. I couldn't be too picky when I first started. So whether it was football or, or basketball or anything else, I just wanted to be a coach. Like that's, that's one thing to me to this day that I'm just extremely grateful for. When people call me coach, I'm not, I, I, besides being a husband and a dad, there's nothing that I value more than being known as that. I mean, it's even something as simple as going into uh, uh, the convenience store that I hit home on the way on the way home every day, and they say, what's up, coach? Even that alone is just something I take a lot of pride in. So for me, basketball just presented itself as an opportunity. You know, when I was at Virginia Commonwealth University, we didn't have football. Uh, all we had was basketball, but I still didn't work directly with basketball during my entire time there. I only assisted. And then when the job at University of Tulsa popped up, um, it just made sense. I felt like I had you know, maximize the position that I had at VCU. And it seemed like the next logical step in my progression or in my career. So when I went there, it was football and basketball. And then Coach Manning got the opportunity here, and it, and it made sense to kind of go along that way. But for right now, it's still basketball because, for me, I, I, there's no one I'd rather work for than Coach Danny Manning. And, and to me, having a leader um, and a supervisor and a head coach that fully supports and believes and trust in what we do, um, to me, that's priceless. And that doesn't matter if it was football, baseball, basketball, or anything else. Um, that's what's most important to me at this point in my life is surrounding myself with people that value family, people that value um, what we do as a profession and what we do as coaches. Awesome. It must be an incredible experience working for someone uh, or with someone, for someone, with someone in the same program as Coach Manning because he's a, a, a great uh, NBA uh, legend, so to speak. Um, Coach Warren, talk to me about the buy-in, the buy-in from the players, but more specifically, when a coach turns his complete trust over to someone like yourself, you're such an integral part of what goes on, the health, the success of the program. It's a big deal for them to completely turn their trust over to you. So first, let's talk about the trust that he has in you and the responsibility he has in you and what is it like going back and forth with him how connected are you to what is the dialogue like you know and i think that trust i mean a lot of that trust comes from consistency over time and, and through consistency um you build credibility and I, I think that's not something that immediately is, is given i think you have to earn that so i think we look at our 
situation that Coach Manning and I have. Um, you know, our offices are right next door to each other. Uh, I've already spoken to him numerous times today. Um, you know, our relationship is phenomenal. It's a relationship that we have a, an understanding of what our role is as a performance staff and what he expects out of us. And so when he hands the keys over to the car, um, for that spring and summer period, we know we have a responsibility um, to get these athletes ready for him and what he needs as a head coach. You know, we are servants and, and we are support staff. Um, so I think as a staff, um, I know I have a phenomenal assistant, AJ Kerr, and we understand that what we do is, is complementary in nature. We're not trying to compete with the why of our program. And I think that's one thing we can kind of take a step back and look at. Is we have to understand the why for our head coach and what his vision is for the program. Um, and our training needs to be reflective of that. And then we have to look at what our players' why is. I mean, you originally talked about buy-in. And then not only buy-in with our head coach because everything comes from the top down and then infiltrates its way throughout the program, but also the why of our athletes and, and how to generate buy-in with them. Um, so when you look at that culture um, and of culture of ownership and, and a culture of, of people that are connected – and that have a pattern of action and, and behavior that is conducive to the ultimate end goal of the team. Um, and Coach Manning is huge on what's good for Wake Forest is good for you. Uh, and I think everybody has a defined role. They understand what their lane is. They understand they have to be able to share the road um, with other people and be able to check their blind spots and check their mirrors. And you have to be able to integrate uh, and, and collaborate with others. But that's that buy-in. Now, is it all – perfect all the time no but those conversations need to happen and i think that's something that is very special to me and it's something that i have a, a head coach that provides so much sport and autonomy and what we do um i don't get micromanaged now some people might think that's oh that's so awesome but it also comes with a lot of responsibility um right. here's your job you know it's a professional organization here's your job here's your role now do what you're supposed to do because you have the tools to do it um so a lot of those decisions, you know, are, are heavy decisions and, and they come with a lot of responsibility. So we can't overlook that. Um, but I think you can, I know people downplay the culture word, word um, excuse me, but like culture for us, like it's important that our program is built around accountability, not only with our players, um, but also as coaches. I think coaches, a lot of times we love to criticize and hold other people accountable, but we need to be held accountable as well uh, to make sure that what we're doing is impactful uh, and that it resonates with the kids that we serve. And, and that is transformational in nature. We have to be honest. Um, I think our program is built on love. We have to love each other. And then in turn, through all of those different pillars of culture, we can build trust and therefore we can build results uh, and sustainable results. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So, Coach, I know it takes special, uh, a special staff, a, a special support system to have people in a culture that take a good, honest look at themselves, because that's not often, that doesn't happen often. Most people I find, um, they really, they don't want to take a good, hard look at their performance, what they're doing, uh, what, what they can improve on, so to speak. And then seeing you do these things, I know it trickles down through the rest of your staff, uh, through your assistant, through the players. What is it like trying to get the players to understand why we do things this way do you meet a lot of adversity i played college football i played professional football i don't uh remember i do remember specific examples or instances where players were slow to trust 
But if everyone's working hard and this is the way we do things, what would happen was the group would build around this player that wasn't giving what he was supposed to give and they would spit that individual out. What is it like there trying to get the players to buy in? Do you encounter any uh, resistance or did you at the beginning? Yeah, I, I think we took over this program. It was in a, you know, a rebuilding mode. You know, we were, we were coming in and understanding that we had to, you know, rebuild um, and we had to take the necessary steps. And we knew we only got, you know, one opportunity to build that foundation and to do it right. And, and we knew there was going to be some adversity there. We knew that there was going to be some growing pains there. And then, you know, that's something you have to understand. You have to prepare for adversity. You have to prepare for failure ahead of time. So when that thing pops up, you know how to respond to it. Um, because in the end, that's all you really can control. But I think in our program, I mean, there's going to be guys that you have to build that trust. You have to build that credibility. I think being consistent uh, with holding teammates accountable and having accountability from within as far as having captains or, or guys that have been in the program that can help mentor the younger players. And then, two, it has to come from the top down. I think one big thing that we do well here is that, you know, we are assistant coaches. Our head coach values physical preparation. And it's nothing more than an extension of practice. It's nothing more than an extension of preparation. So I think our players understand that this isn't something you just look over and glance over. I think we're on the same page um, with our assistant coaches and our head coach. And then our performance staff is integrated within that. So I think for me, this comes down to consistency. You have to be able to communicate effectively. Um, we have to listen. We have to be teachers, but we also have to be willing to be taught um, by our athletes as well. But for me, I think our athletes understand it's not about you. Um, our athletes understand that our goal is to leave the jersey better than we found it um, and leave this program better than we found it. So, yeah, there are going to be guys that might be resilient to what we're doing, but guess what? They're outnumbered. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that when they're outnumbered and you have teammates that can help you along the way um, and can check you during that process because there will be some emotional responses, they're going to have tough days. Um, but I think that support system is key. But I think you do that by being consistent. Uh, and I think you do that by making sure that each athlete is treated um, consistently across the board. And I think when athletes see that and they understand that's a part of what we do, I think they're more willing um, to buy into that process over time. Understood. Understood. So, Coach, I know you don't have a lot of time in your hands. Uh, the last person I had on the Magna Method podcast was a former Navy commander, uh, Captain Mike Abershoff. And he mm -hmm. spoke to, uh, he was on the worst ship, in his opinion, in the Navy. And there was a very uh, tight situation where it was encountered with uh, fighter pilots and they weren't prepared or prepared as prepared as they, as they needed to be, excuse me. And that day, he started to assess. And he started to assess with himself, his own performance. And then after that, he interviewed every uh, crewman on the ship. 300 sailors and he learned everything he could possibly about those sailors meaning how they live their life what they appreciate what they don't appreciate what they thought the problems with he asked them what they would do if they were in charge and he spent a significant amount of time with 300 sailors i know you spend time with your guys how much time do you spend with them and do you have a strategic approach to try to get inside uh, the behavioral patterns to get the most out of them yeah, and I think that's one of the more attractive um, parts about working with basketball. You know, it you know, 
there are there there is smaller numbers. I mean, we're dealing with 17 athletes on a daily basis. You know, obviously we have a coaching staff, we have medical staff. Um, you're dealing with that. We have a registered dietitian on staff, and then of course AJ, my assistant, and sometimes we have interns. But I think that what it really goes down to is I think the people around you need to understand that you're holding them accountable, but you're also have a sense of ownership with results. And in the end, a lot of those things are going to turn on you. And I think by spending time with your athletes daily and then learning, you know, what they're dealing with, we have a 60 second rule on our staff as far as performance staff where, you know, we don't do wellness questionnaires anymore. We don't do subjective wellness questionnaires. We spend 60 seconds at least with each individual guy at each exposure that we get to them. Um, These guys are stopping by the office, but we want to know what their perception of the stress is. And then along that line, I think it just comes down to allowing your players to really invest and own the training and development process. I think that you can't treat them like robots. They're humans first. Um, and I think when you make them a part of that process, it's like your coaching staff, when you let them invest, when they invest, um, I think it's more likely to be reciprocated and people are going to enjoy the workspace because you've created a space um, that's built on honesty and trust and, and you've built credibility and you're respectful to the people that are around you. And I think that's a, that's a huge part of that process. And I think that early on in my career when I was a little bit younger, uh, I wasn't as open to getting that type of information in to make more informed and impactful decisions. So I think that by doing so and opening up those lines of communication, I, I think it's huge. I think he's spot on. I think it's a, it's tough at times to hear that, but to truly want honest feedback and know like what you're not doing, like you're, what, if you're not doing a good job of something, I want our guys to tell us and I want them to let us know that we need to improve in certain spots. At the same time, I want them to tell us what they like. And I want our staff to be very transparent with that. But I think it really comes down to having that open, impactful, sticky dialogue that's met with tangible change. I mean, you can't have these discussions and not let the athletes or the coaches see changes in approach, behavior, perspective. Because if not, it's just going to fall on deaf ears. So I think that's definitely huge that you get the information, you get the in, the intel, and you follow that up with that. Okay. So can you give us some examples of how you get the players to invest? Are they, do you give them options on, on training choices for the day? I know you have your set template and you have, uh, you're certainly mm-hmm. programmed out to the T, but when you get them to invest in what they're about to experience, give us some examples if you could. Yeah, I think when you think about investment, I think there's, there's you know, numerous situations, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, that there's a template, there's a program, you're going to do A, B, C, and D, you're going to get in, you're going to leave, and that's the end of it. And I think the training process and the athlete experience is so much greater than that because we're not just doing sets and reps in there. We're not just working on increasing biomotor or bioenergetic potential. Like we're molding young men. Uh, We're molding a team. Um, We're forging and cultivating that environment um, that is conducive to those things. So I think when you look at that template, like AJ and myself, you know, we're, we're sound and, and we're rigid in our principles of training as far as what we want to get done, but then we're fluid and dynamic with our implementation. So whether it's giving athletes choices or check downs on, on, on training sessions, whether it's scheduling um, as far as when they come in to train and what their rhythm is, you know, we give our guys a lot of ownership and autonomy in the sense that the, it's structured, but we want their feedback on 
on training times. We want their feedback on, you know, organization and how we distribute that stress across the week. And then we want feedback on how they truly feel. Um, and I know the work's going to get done. And the more autonomy and ownership I've given to our older and more experienced athletes, it's funny how they start making, you know, the appropriate choices and the ones that we really wanted on the front end, but just that, just that, that ability to choose and to have a say and to have investment in the program. I think it pays huge dividends in the atmosphere and the environment. And, uh, you know, I, I read, uh, I was reading a book called team of teams, uh, and Stanley and the crystal generous, uh, Stanley and the crystal made a comment that leadership isn't like like directing traffic. Leadership's like gardening. It's like farming. Like basically you plant seeds and then you tend to it and you and you watch it as it grows and you might water it here. You might do some little things, but like you understand that you're not in complete control. And that you understand that those seeds that you sow are going to turn into something. You need to tend to that garden. I think a lot of time we want to have our hands on. We just squeeze the life out of it when we do need to give um, some freedom of movement, some freedom of experience to those athletes as long as you're still getting the highest result possible. I mean, why not? So I think we can't let that scare us. And I think that when we do that, now we have a team of 17 coaches because they understand why they're doing what they're doing and that the impact it's going to have on their performance as a basketball player as an athlete. And I truly think our relationships and bonds with our players um, have been phenomenal the more we do that um, intelligently uh, and strategically. Understood. So, Coach, has there ever was there a time uh, over the course earlier on in your career where you were like, "Man, I'm doing things the wrong way. I really need to." Uh, we have meetings, and um, I read this actually in a book called "No Hero" by Mark Owen. Have you read that book, Coach? I have not actually. So you'll, you'll, I'm yeah, make you'll, a note of that. you'll definitely like it. But they have uh, post-mission meetings where everyone would sit down, and it starts with you where everyone gets a shot at you. If they have something that they're unhappy with, they get to say it, they get to voice their opinion, they get to talk about it. Mm -hmm. When you walk out of that meeting, it's gone. Check your ego at the door, check your emotion at the door. Was there ever a moment where you had to check your emotion, your ego at the door and say, man, I'm not doing a good job here. I need to fix this ASAP. Yeah, probably almost every day. Uh, Hopefully. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. uh, You know, I think what you described for us is, you know, it has more of a military, uh, you know, route, but we call it an after action review. Um, so when we're, yeah, so, but we also, we have briefings and we have after action reviews. There's no rank there. So I think when we program as a staff and we put everything up on the whiteboard and we're programming out our, it's an investment of all parties and there's no rank there. There's no, there's no ego there, even during a post session or after action review after, after a training, you know, session, like, you need to put it all out on the line. And I think that sometimes early in my career, uh, and it's something that I struggled with early on, and I think I'm starting to make progress with it. I think one mistake we make is we surround ourselves with people that have that are like-minded, uh, that think like us, that because that's comfortable, uh, and that's something that we know, like that validates and solidifies what we're doing as a coach and as a person, as a professional. So I think early on in my career, not only with our own staff, but I sought out other coaches that did the things the same way I did. And, and, I, and I missed a lot of time early on in my career doing that when I should have been seeking out people that have different perspectives, that have different training experiences and methodologies to help improve and enrich my service 
as a coach. So I think that takes some time. And I think over time you become more, more competent uh, with your, with your job and what you do. And then in turn, you become more confident. And then when you become more confident in your ability as a professional, I think we tend to put ourselves out there more and allow ourselves to be vulnerable. So I, I agree a hundred percent. So I think those after action reviews are, are, you know, a, a critical part of that process. But at the same time, even these discussions that we're doing right now is to, to get out there and seek the help of other coaches that think different than you that are going to question what you do and they're going to make you uncomfortable because that's where real growth is going to occur. No doubt. I, I couldn't agree more. Someone actually on my staff said the other day, uh, I think this trainer is smarter than you, Mark. And my, my response caught him by surprise. They, I, my uh, response was, he better be. I mean, that's why I hired him. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, if he's not smarter than me, he probably shouldn't be here because right? I can't find people that know what I know. I want to find people who know something different, more what I know, more to your point. Um, exactly. I mean, you know, and I think we're all limited by our experiences. And I think that when you hire somebody or you surround yourself with somebody, they should make the program better. They should bring something to the table um, that's going to allow them to make an impact. And I think that's, that's crucial. And if you aren't open to that, then you're limiting your athletes and you're doing them a disservice right a million percent so what are your thoughts going the other way so now once you become the more competent you become the more confident you become as you said and i couldn't agree more now it's the younger coaches or or the the people coming up behind you and i know that you mentioned before the inky johnson leave this world a better place than the way you found it so leave the industry leave the profession a better way than you found it and you are doing an outstanding job what are your thoughts with helping the people that are coming underneath you because in training in the private sector, people get really nervous. Hey, he stole my idea. Um, that's yeah. mine. I don't want to help him. I don't want to see that person advance. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, you know, Nas is, you know, he had a good, he had a good line. I love the songs that kind of there is there. There's nothing new under the sun, like no idea is necessarily original. And I think that, you know, we've all put our spin on certain things, but I think early on, whether it's in the private sector, which I have, I don't have any private sector experience. So I, I try not to speak on things that I don't really have experience with, just like people that don't have any collegiate strength conditioning uh, coach experience or professional. I think, but what we could meet on in the middle is to kind of understand, I think younger coaches, there's a difference between confidence and arrogance. Uh, and I think that there's a huge difference between that. Uh, there's a huge difference in the level of humility um, that is required for both of those traits um, for a coach and for a person. Like for me, I think young coaches, they need mentors that are going to not only prepare them for the path, but walk that path with them. And I think a lot of times what happens is, you know, I want to build, you know, I want the people that come through our program to build to the point where I can put them on my reference list. I mean, that's my goal. If I get fired and, and something happens, you know, this is the nature of the business. But if I get let go for some reason, I want to be able to put AJ Kerr, who's my assistant now, I want to be, be able to put him on my reference list because he has reached a level in his profession that continues to raise the bar. So I think these young kids and these young coaches that, you know, but I was this way. I don't know if everybody was, but think they have it all figured out when they start off and, and this person's doing this wrong and this person's doing that wrong. And, and I think that they learned that the investment in the profession is to find a mentor that will not only work with them at the, that point in time, but then prepare them for their next step and not to necessarily think like a mentor or think or do things like the way I do them. 
but to take what we do and add it to their philosophy and to their program and the principles of their program. But I think we've got to walk that path with them as they go as well. When they have new opportunities and they have new jobs, we have to stay in touch and we have to stay connected. And I think this profession, that's what makes it great because the job changes daily. I mean, what's required of you changes every day Um, because no athletes ever the same, no personal training clients ever the same when they walk through the door. So I think those things are crucial. So for me, it's just like, understand you have to be ready to coach a level up um, to where you're currently at. So if you're an intern or you're entry level assistant, you're just getting started, be prepared to coach that next level up and take that next step. But at the same time, pay it forward and develop the people on, that are underneath you just the way that the person that took a chance with you did and gave you that opportunity. So I think if we can have that kind of circle uh, of development and that circle of mentorship, you know, our profession will be in a lot better place in the future. Absolutely. And in regards to players, so you're paying it for with other coaches and you're coaching them, you're mentoring them, and you said you're walking that path with them. Now, coaching, transitioning a little bit, the subject head, you're coaching a player, you're trying to improve his performance. But I think we all could agree on the fact that you can't improve performance unless the head is in the correct place, the mindset is in the right place. Meaning if they have something yep. going on off the court, off the football field, off the performance field, and their head's foggy, how much time do you spend with the athletes trying to say, hey, man, I know something's up with this guy. I got to pull him aside and get him right before I can make work on his performance. How much time do you spend with those athletes? Like, I know you spend so much time with them. You could tell when they're sick, when they're not giving effort, when oh, they have yeah. a problem with their girlfriend. What's your yeah, approach? Exactly. I think my first, I think our first approach just as a staff um, from top to bottom is like, we don't know what that person's carrying that day. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of things emotionally that these kids are dealing with on a daily basis. And, and that's when you know, I alluded to it earlier. Like we're dealing with human beings. We're dealing with 18 to 21 year old kids at a crucial time in their life. And I think for me, a lot of these kids coming through the program, they're dealing with a lot of issues. They're dealing with a lot of expectations. You know, some of the kids that we have, you know, we're homeless at a certain point or, or come from single parent backgrounds or, or, or come from, you know, you know, a, a poor uh different socioeconomic you know backgrounds that it has an effect on the level of grit and resilience that these kids have and i think that those relationships are crucial like our guys know that we love and that we care about them and i think our guys know um and they understand that a lot of them are really starving for meaningful like genuine human interaction uh and i think that when we talk to our guys we tell them like you know we're going to leave it at the door but at the same time if there's an issue which a lot of times as you already said we know we're around these guys enough to know what their personality and over this overall disposition is but like we want to have that comfort and that level of trust to where we can have those conversations and we're not going to run and tell somebody but this is a genuine productive, meaningful relationship because everything they get right now is through a seven inch iPhone screen. You know what I mean? And and that's where the world is. I mean, that's what they do. So I think they need to square up. They need to be able to look another man in the eyes and have a meaningful discussion and conversation about where they're at. And it's okay to prepare them for the stress of life and for the stress of training. Uh, so I think that's huge, man. I think when you just come in and just check it off the list and guys clock in and they clock out, I don't know what kind of long-lasting, memorable impact you're going to have 
on a kid. Um, Cause that's the best part of our job is when these guys come back and they, they've been on the field and they became professional athletes or their husbands and their, and their fathers and they come back and then you see that, like that's what really lasts. Like that's the legacy. Uh, and I think for me that, that it has to be, it has to be that. Um, and you have to have those discussions. You really do. Cause if you do, and you know, as a former athlete, and I know as a former athlete, like, I want to know what makes these guys tick. I want to know who their favorite coach was. I want to know how they want to be coached and how they want to be handled as an athlete emotionally, how we want to talk to them, because I really think they'll run through a wall for you and I'll run through a wall for them. And I think when we do that, you know, how we feel about each other is reciprocated. And, and, you know, and I think that's huge. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a story, um, about i'll give you my own personal spin on it you said you have to know how each what how each person ticks what motivates them what doesn't motivate them because when i was with the new york jets i remember the story and i tell it often i remember bill parcells pulled me aside and he said mark come over here and he said see that guy over there and he pointed to uh, mo lewis and he said that guy's been playing in the nfl for eight years he's a three-time all pro and he makes a ton of plays on that field on sunday he said do you think that all the rookies should be treated like him yeah. And I didn't know what to say. And he said, yeah. guess what? I'm not going to treat the rookies like him. He's going to get treated differently because he's earned it. He doesn't show me that he needs to do it every day. He needs to show me that he can still do it. He said, you need to show me that you can do it. So exactly. in that moment, I understood that. I used to think, Coach Warren, that in high school and college, every player should be treated the same. No favoritism. And then, yeah. I, then I started to understand, well, if that guy's been in the NFL for 12 years and he's all pro and he's still amazing, exactly. he's not going to get treated like everyone else. He might go three plays that day. So, yeah, you're right. yeah. you know, I, I started to appreciate that, you know, every single situation athlete player is his own special set uh, case, rather, of circumstances. Agreed. So how do you uh, – when when you approach these things, meaning – if an athlete comes in, does does he ever say, like, look, coach, I can't do this today in the training or I, I don't feel up to it? And it's not physical. He's just he's just not there. And, and you're going to would you alter that program? Do you modify right away or do you try to get him to do it? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I think you made a great point. And like and we talk about holding athletes. I think we have a standard in place and we have a standard with how we approach training, like with how we approach and what our mindset is that day. Like, and I think that when, what you described, when we have guys on our team right now have played 90 plus games in college and we have really talented freshmen that come in, um, there's certain levels of, of understanding because I've been training with those guys for three years. So we understand they understand the rhythm. They understand how things go. They understand how they should perceive what's being placed on them. So therefore they adapt a little bit more soundly or favorably to that training stress or stimulus. And the freshmen are kind of just trying to keep their head above water because everything is new to them. So I think when it comes to touching a line, I don't care if you're an all pro or you're all conference or all ACC or you're a freshman fresh off the bus, like you touch the line, you go past the line. You know what I mean? If we're doing seven reps, you're doing seven reps. Um, if we're told to sprint through the line, you don't jog through the line. And I think our athletes know from that standpoint, that's what the standard is. But, but as far as adjusting training sessions and adjusting practice periodization plans and in practice and reps here and reps there, that's a very fluid and dynamic approach because some guys are playing 35 minutes and some guys are playing five minutes. And coach is really big 
on earning your way and earning your ticket and doing those things. So I think, yeah, you have to understand that each individual athlete is going to have certain tweaks and certain adjustments that you're going to have to make, but that's a discussion. There's going to be certain times where it's our job as coaches to show them they have another level that maybe you don't feel right, like right now, but let's get through the warm up. Let's get you moving. We understand motions of lotion. Let's see if you feel better then we can adjust from there. So if an athlete has a sore knee or if an athlete's ankle sore, they took, or they had a big game the night before. Like you have to have that conversation. I think anything other than that, and, and thinking it's about you and trying to shove square pegs into a round hole, you're going to let one bad day beat you twice. So if you lost the night before, now you're emotional and you become illogical with your approach and with your programming. Well, now guess what? Whoever just beat you twice, because now you just wasted that day as well. So I think we have to keep that mindset and see the big picture. And you are correct, like different demands for different people. Uh, and we're going to have to make sure we manage those things. So those guys can do what they're here for, which is to go to class, compete academically, and then compete at the highest level athletically. And we have to be able to maximize and get those guys as close to that 100% as we can get every day. So, yeah, I mean, we do it for both semesters. I mean, it's a nine-month endeavor. Um, it's a long season. Um, so we have to be able to have those conversations and make the necessary adjustments. Got it. Got it. At what point do you – changing subjects, gears a little bit. Now we're talking about off-the-field behavior. Uh, excuse me, I uh -huh. off the field. That's mine. Off the court behavior. Um, uh, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, what do you step in? I'm not talking about to discipline a player if he's uh, if there's negative behavior off the court. I'm talking about just pulling someone aside, saying, "Hey, man, that's not good for you. It's not going to work out. You got to be careful. Don't do that. I'm trying to save you some heartache." Um, do you step in? Yeah, I think you have to. I think, I think you have to understand like only what your athletes are dealing with, and, and whether it's an athlete that you know may have an issue with extracurricular activities and, and partying too much on the weekends, or it might be a nutrition thing, it, it might be a habits thing. I mean, we try to drive the point home to our guys that your habits should help you, that it shouldn't hinder you, uh, and that when coaches and scouts and GMs call me, that your character and that your work ethic and the decisions you make shouldn't be the reason you don't accomplish what you want to accomplish as a player. Um, and I think our guys understand that now you have to be a pro now. You have to be a pro in the sense of protecting the investment. Uh, and they know. I mean, we had those conversations, and a lot of those guys are open. But believe me, I've had many late-night phone calls and, 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 and had to meet players in certain places and do certain things um, to take care of them. And I think you have to come through when they need you um, you have to come through and you, you have to be there for them because that's what we talk about. We talk about, oh, everybody family on three, one, two, three family. But, I mean, what does that really mean? Um, and are you really holding yourself to that standard as far as we and not like each other all the time? We might have our issues. We might have our arguments and disagreements. Um, but we have to be able to put ourselves in that situation to provide them with that tough love or provide them with that support when they need it. So, yeah, I definitely think you have to step in. I think anything, if you're sitting there watching it happen, I think it's negligent. I think it's something that you're doing your athletes a disservice. You're doing yourself a disservice because that athlete's carrying something with them. I mean, I've had athletes and I've heard stories in the past. I had a coach tell me one time that you don't want to be the last person the athlete spoke to or speaks to. Um, and what he meant by that is he had an athlete that came into his office and this athlete was dealing with some mental health issues. And, and the athlete um, was, was contemplating suicide and he was making one more stop. And I think he was, that athlete was looking for a reason not to. 
Um, and instead of pushing him out of the office and telling him, no, nah, man, I got time for you. I got to do this or I got to do that or I got to get my training session. And he sat down and he listened, you know what I mean? And, and to communicate effectively, we have to listen aggressively. We have to speak deliberately, but he listened to him. Uh, and he let that kid open up his heart to him. And that kid came back 10, you didn't know it at the time, but the kid came back 10 years later at the 10 year reunion, came back um, and told him, you know, I was, I wanted to kill myself. Uh, and you saved me from doing that. You don't know that you did, but you did. Uh, and he said that changed his entire life. You know, I've seen athletes collapse. Uh, and die on the floor playing pickup and have to be resuscitated, be brought back to life and watch their teammates watch a guy die and be brought back. So I've had those moments where, like, the, the, the X's and O's and the program and the training, to me, that stuff's easy. Like, I could do that stuff all day long. But, like, those relationships, like, I truly love my kids, and I truly love them, I'm telling you right now. And then if we have issues, it hurts me, man. I bring that stuff home with me. It's heavy on my heart, and I think they they understand that. Uh, and I think that's important. But, like, to, to pigeonhole yourself and think this is just about performance is, is huge. You have to step in when needed, and maybe maybe it's, you don't want to do it if it's unsolicited, um, but you have to be able to help these kids and provide them with support some of them don't have it they don't have any support they don't have a, a male figure in their life some of them have never had a, a white male that's been a positive impact or been a positive role model for them i mean we're dealing with a lot of different stuff and a lot of current issues and i think you have to be willing to put yourself in there and, and truly listen uh it'd be a part of their lives and i think that's huge mm, absolutely it's it's certainly uh a great benefit just to be able to set your own beliefs maybe if you will that might yeah. be lack of a better term aside and actually look it through look look at it or take a good look at it rather through the lenses of the athletes like that's a really big deal and good Ryan. i'm sorry no you're good um but you know i think that you could apply that um to you know sports we're always con concerned about performance right and and I'll hear a coach say, my guy runs really fast, he's really strong, look at the way he performs. I always want to say, yeah, but I saw him do this, that, and the other thing, and he's falling apart at the seams off the field. So who gives a crap about his performance? Because exactly. he's not going to get to perform. It's not going to make it. I've seen how many athletes we can name in the last four or five years, we can name athlete over athlete who was having a stellar career professionally, and we don't even hear from went from first to worst. So that exactly. being said, when you say, you know, it's all about the relationships, it's about the relationships, in my opinion, with the staff that you work with, uh, your teammates, the people in the building, right down to the guy who mops the floor. I mean, it's every single person. And as you said, as far as I'm concerned, the relationship with the guy at the corner store, the coach, coach that might be the most important one. So, you know, when, when you talk about those things, in, in my line of work, it's it's performance or it's business. And it makes me cringe when I hear the statement, hey, man, it's just business. It's never just yeah. business because the way you do it and when you take that stuff home to your family, that's not business. That's not performance. That's you caring. No. That's your passion. That's you being genuine. That's you uh, fulfilling your calling, Coach Horn. And that's what's so special. And if the people think it's just business and it's you just coaching and it's just player coach relationship and it's not that big of a deal they're missing it man because it is all about relationships and behavior so that's a huge huge point that i think everyone needs to digest and you could learn a heck of a lot about it from coach horn and if you're not following him you need to follow him it's uh on instagram it's uh coach horn ryan horn 45 correct yeah it's at ryan horn 45 yeah at ryan horn 45 okay 
So transitioning into um, what it's like to be, if you're okay with this, uh, not specifically talking about your family, but what it's like to juggle the responsibilities of being a not only a, a, a positive coach, a great coach, but a positive role model and mentor for not only um, your assistant, but the athletes, being a father, being a uh, husband. It's a lot of responsibility, man. It's a uh, up at dawn, day in and day out, work-filled year. What is it like juggling those things? Because you have responsibilities at home. You have great responsibilities uh, at Wake Forest. Tell us what that's like. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody kind of has their own story, you know, with that. But for me, I mean, I'm a, I mean, family is always the focus, you know. For me, I think that I can I can lose a job, um, I can I can stumble in my profession as a coach, um, but if I break my family, I, I I'm never I, I can't put that back together, uh, and I and I and I'm not willing to risk um, my family and my wife and, and my two beautiful children. Like I'm not willing to risk anything, you know, you know, for them, you know what I mean? That they're the most important thing in my life. Besides my faith, my family is always going to be the focus. Um, and the reason why I'm in the position right now that I am because I had their support and I continued to do so. And you have a family, when you talk about sacrifice, like I signed up for this, they didn't, uh, they didn't sign up for this. They're supporting me, but they understand at certain points of the year that my other 15, 16 kids are going to get a little bit more attention than they do. So I think when I'm, when I speak with young coaches about, uh, whether it's, you know, my assistant or other young coaches in the field, like, you know, you have to be present and you have to be productive. You have to be involved with your family. And you might only get 20 minutes a night. There's been a couple of nights this week that I got 20, 30 minutes. And that might have been doing a little bit of homework. That might have been, you know, shower time, getting ready for bed and tuck them in. But I tell you what, Mark, in that 20 to 30 minutes, I'm there. Uh, and that's me and them. And I get up a little bit earlier and I take my son to school when I can because he's in middle school. So he starts a little bit earlier. But you got to find time to be present and you got to find time to be there for them. You got to find time to go to the flag football game, to go to gymnastics practice. And, and those are things that early on in my career, I, I may not have done a great job of, of doing that. I thought I could get that time back on the back end. But you never do. Like that's priceless. You're never getting. You're never getting bad donuts. You're never getting that Friday back. You'll, you'll never get it back again, and you lose it. You know what I mean? And I, I can easily reschedule a training session, or, or you know, get a, get out a little bit early from a practice or whatever it may be. But I have a head coach that understands that, and he values that. Like I tell my assistant now, take the dang vacation. Do it when you need to do it and enjoy it. When you go on vacation, you're gone. Don't text me. Don't call me. You know, be with your significant other and enjoy your time. Separate yourself and disconnect and go enjoy yourself and do that. I don't want him to miss out on that when I talk to them. But, man, that's a huge responsibility to me. But it also just, you know, if you if you live a life of gratitude, you know, generosity, just feel like, you know, like our president had a quote. He said, a life of, generosity, or life of gratitude 
will overflow with generosity. And I think that you talked about the person that mops your floor. I mean, anything that you come in contact with, I mean, that's a chance to make an impact. And I think that Jose is the guy that cleans our offices and we all expect our trash to be emptied and our floors to be uh, vacuumed and that stuff. But that Jose comes in every night and just talking to Jose and I, it might seem random. I'm sorry to segue to this, but you already brought it up. But like Jose, like I, you know, I asked him what his name is. His name is Jose. And now every time I see Jose, he smiles, he waves at me. We have a discussion. Um, I know he's working hard. He might be undervalued or underappreciated. Um, but that made an impact on him and our relationship is different because he knows he's appreciated and he knows he has worth within the department, but that all transcends to how you do some things is, is how you do everything. So I think that being a good father, um, being strong, uh, in my faith and, and doing those things, that that's what's the driving force behind what we do. And I have to be consistent with that. And I, I think it, it really comes down, um, to doing that. But then again, it's a great opportunity. I'm busy, but guess what? My kid, my son gets to be a ball boy when we play big games, you know what I mean? He gets to go he gets to go on trips and, and do those things and get different opportunities that maybe I didn't get when I was younger. Um, but yeah, man, don't forget about that. That that's one that's one glass ball. If you drop that one, it breaks. It's yeah. not bouncing. Uh, and I think you have to keep that in mind. Absolutely. It's so uh, important to make sure that you allot time for that because that's something, as you said, that you can't just put that together. It doesn't work like that. And as far as relationships with the people in your building, I mean, I think it took me the better part of six months. I was so stressed and so uh, nervous about making the business work. I didn't even take time to acknowledge the people that keep our house clean. And then when I yep. did, as you said, not only did their face light up, but I could tell that they felt like they were a part of something. Exactly. And and why wouldn't they? Because that's why I do it. I do it because I want to be a part of something. I could be on my exactly. own. I could do my own thing. I could have t less stress, but I want to be a part of something special. So now when I see each person that helps us work on that building to keep it special, keep it clean, I dap them up and they say, they smile, they say, what's up, Mark? You know, exactly. and they're, they're excited, and 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 I know I'm excited because you know what? It makes me feel good that they feel like they're a part of something because they are. I mean, and think about it too, like just knowing that they're valued. I mean, think about how many times you know people in certain positions never get told thank you. Like people yeah. never say hi to them and acknowledge their existence and the effort that they're providing into their job. And I think that. Now, in turn, I've seen it. You know what I mean? They want to work harder for you. They're willing to put themselves out there and work harder for you because you know you appreciate it. But, I mean, no, sir, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, you know, shaking hands, dapping up, saying thank you, saying I appreciate you. Um, you know, Skip Prosser, rest in peace, but he was a coach here at Wake Forest. He had a great quote. He said, never delay gratitude. Um, and I think when you're grateful, I think people – you know, experience that and they can feel that. Um, and I think it's just driving force behind doing quality work, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, over time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. A million percent. So thank you for that, Coach. Uh, great lessons once again. Now, w w what could you speak to if you're going to tell a young strength and conditioning coach, uh, someone getting in the field, someone who's finishing up their uh, degree or postgraduate degree, what advice would you give a younger coach? What um, – I think I know the answer to this because um, you're such an active person. And I saw you at the Sornex conference. What type of emphasis do you put on continuing education and having a pathway to continue to grow and gain knowledge? I, I mean, I'll tell you what, there's, you know, we got a couple of budget lines and, and there's not, you know, there's not many lines on our budget from a staff perspective that's bigger than continuing education. I think you have to be a creature of your craft. 
Um, you have to find ways to periodize not only your training uh, and your programming for your athletes, but also your professional development. Um, so that's something that's in my direct control, like going, seeing you at Summer Strong and, and attending, you know, 10, you know, 12 conferences or clinics and doing site visits and Skype calls. I mean, these are all things for me that are investments and they're investments into myself, they're investments into my assistant's career. And then in turn, it provides a better service for our student athletes. But at the same time, like our head coach, like he, he's motivating me to get out and do that. He, he motivated me to get out and seek out speaking engagements to share information. He, he motivated me to go find new conference, new, new conferences and new seminars and clinics. So when we go on the road, we go visit sites when we're on the road trips. We got, you know, 15 road games a year, whatever it is. That's 15 opportunities to go visit and learn from coaches. It could be a private place. It could be, you know, uh, you know, we're down there in Miami this year. Maybe I come stop by your place, you know, whatever it may be. You know, those are things that you're 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 having an immediate impact, and we're all lucky enough to take our passion and and turn it into a profession. But I think that that's huge. Like, never stop learning, never stop being a student of the game, because if you can continue to do that, I think you can keep your ego at bay. You know, when you when you stay away from those things, you get in your bubble, and, and you get in your bubble and your comfort zone, your warm blanket bed of I got everything figured out, and in reality just limiting yourself you have blinders on so i think for me you get out that makes you uncomfortable that inspires new thinking new thought um new you know methodologies or ways of doing things and you challenge what you do you scrutinize what you do um and i'd rather have you know 500 i go to a big conference it might be 500 people there you know i'd rather have 500 500 opportunities to uh integrate and, and help sharpen our edge of our program than have to sit back and Winston-Salem, even though I love it here, and just stare at a whiteboard and, 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 and try to impress myself with my thoughts. Um, so I think, yeah, I agree 100%. Okay, Coach. What Are there any educational platforms, conferences, seminars that you would speak to? You say, man, you got to attend this one. Because in my opinion – I sure I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, but I went to the uh, Sorenex conference and I had been wanting to go to that for years, and I made time and I was so excited to go. And I will tell you, I walked away that like from that as uh, Bert said, I needed more. I was supercharged. I mean, I thought it was incredible just between the people there and the conversations I had. But the speakers were outstanding. They spoke from the heart, and every single one of them was terrific. Are there yeah. any, any platforms that you would speak to that say, man, or or not platforms rather, but seminars or educational uh, pieces that you say you got to do this one, you got to do this one, you got to attend this one? Uh, I love Summer Strong, and I love Summer Strong because, like you already said, there's a fellowship there, and there's a level of trust that allows the speakers to be vulnerable uh, and allows them to be honest. And you're not going to find that in too many places. I mean, I don't know about you. Uh, you might not be a crier, um, but I might be a not as attractive as you bearded man, but I do shed some tears from time to time. Uh, and that was one at the power and the way that conference resonated with AJ and myself. I mean, that was on the way back. We already always discussed our conferences and that, that felt like a family reunion, like a, like a revival, just people just sharing genuine stories and just real life. And it was like tangible lessons. And I think you look at that and then Jay DeMeo um, puts on a phenomenal conference. It's uh, the Central Virginia Sports Performance uh, Seminar. Uh, always brings on top level attendees and top level speakers. So that's a must hit uh, on our kind of schedule, so to speak. I always hit a conference out in Vegas at the Basketball Specific Strength 
uh, symposium that I love. It's not just for basketball strength coaches, but it's something for me that I love the people that attend it, uh, and they make me better. And there's some great professionals there. And then besides that, besides like the big national conferences, I prefer a more intimate setting. Uh, and I prefer something where I can go and really talk shop on the side, in the hallways, at the meals, so on and so forth, and really get to know um, the people that are there and then really have an opportunity to visit with the speakers and, and really push myself from that standpoint. And then lastly, you can't you know, Skype calls, FaceTime, you know, what we're doing right now and site visits. In today's world and technology and social media, like there's no excuse. You can almost reach out to anyone and have a you know, 10, 30 hour discussion. So that's huge for me as well. So we've been really consistent with doing at least one Skype call with another staff, at least one time a week or every other week. Um, and we get a lot out of that because it's great for relationship building. It's great for networking. Uh, and it helps me as a, as a little bit more of an experienced coach, but also helps us get back. Um, to the interns and to the graduate assistants and coaches that are looking for opportunities and looking for other pathways uh, to learn. So, yeah, definitely. Terrific. Thank you, Coach. So we're coming to an end here. I've taken a lot of your time, and I can't thank you enough. And by the way, we'll always be uh, happy to have you as a VIP guest at Anatomy in South Beach. That would be a great honor. So anytime for you or your team. Um, and AJ, Coach, Speed round of questions here. You can answer one word. You can answer a sentence. Take your time. Rush through it. Whatever you want, okay? Okay. All right. Favorite ritual? Uh, Pre-morning routine. I love I love reading first thing in the morning. Uh, number one. As soon as I wake up, I read and I reflect. So my, my morning routine is non-negotiable. It's going to get done. Whether it's 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever it is, it's going to get done. So, yeah. Perfect. Unique habit. Unique habit. Oh boy, that, that that might be a that might be a little bit of a different one. Unique habit for me. Uh, uh, I will say this: I have a vice. It's uh, it's Diet Mountain Dew, uh, especially on game days, and I prefer a fountain variety. So that's something I do daily. I stop in, I hang out with the guys at the convenience store, and we talk shop about Wake Forest sports, and I get myself a fountain Diet Mountain Dew. So that that might be a unique habit has nothing to do with anything that's remotely impactful or beneficial to anybody else but myself got it got it got it it. uh favorite food that's not uh diet mountain dew uh i don't have to stay in shape like you do so i can probably expand my uh i'm on the road a lot but i think uh uh, for me, I'm a big, uh, I love Mexican food. Uh, so that, that's, uh, that's my deal. Whether it's Chipotle, real Mexican cuisine, whatever it is. Um, there's not really a, a, a bowl of chips and salsa that I've been able to turn down in my 33 <laughs> years. Perfect. Uh, so I'll throw that out there. That's my wife's favorite, I think as well. So <laughs> she, she, you got a big fan of her already. Okay. Your favorite coach Horn, your favorite pastime. Favorite pastime. Uh, I actually enjoy, uh, I love being outdoors. I love hiking, and I believe sometimes in order for us to escape, we have to explore. And uh, my assistant uh, loves to do that as well. So we love hiking, challenging peaks, summoning peaks, um, climbing, doing whatever we got to do to manufacture some level of, uh, some level of 
oh my gosh, we might get lost out here or where are we at or we might fall. Um, so we kind of take the safety out of the equation a little bit, but that's probably my favorite pastime is just completely disconnecting and just getting out somewhere where it's so quiet that my head hurts. But yeah. Perfect. Favorite sports team other than uh, the Demon Deacons? Uh, if you want to go ahead and feel sorry for me, you can. Uh, my dad is, uh, my whole family's from Michigan. Uh, so I'm, I'm a Detroit Lions, Detroit Red, Red Wings, uh, Pistons fan. So especially with the Lions, if you'd like to, yeah, we have, and the Tigers, um, haven't, you know, yeah. So we've, we've had our ups and downs. Uh, so yeah, I think those are that primarily I, I stick with the, with the, with the Michigan teams, um, moving forward. Then of course, anywhere that our guys go, um, to go play or athletes I've had in the past that are playing professionally, which I, you know, we have some that are, um, I'm immediately a fan of those organizations. So, yeah. I appreciate the loyalty. Favorite, <laughs> favorite professional athlete. You can give me a pass. Don't give me a pass. Give me a present. Cause I got a question about the past in a second. Favorite oh, current professional athlete. Uh, a favorite current professional athlete. Oh man. Uh, that's 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 a tough one, man. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, man. I'm trying to think. I'll be honest with you. I probably don't watch as much sports as people think. I, I know, I know. You don't have time for that. Uh, I get it. I do get it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think off the off the top of my head. You know what I mean? It's just it, it's tough. One dude that I do, um, you know, Alex Donald that climbed uh, El Capitan. Uh, that's one thing that I've started. I respect that guy. You know, because I climb up a 15 cliff face, and I feel like I want to go ahead and pee my pants. Uh, and this yeah. guy like three climbs uh, El Capitan in the time that it probably takes me to hike eight hours up a trail. So, uh, so yeah, I really respect uh, Alex Honnold. He, I do consider him a professional athlete because he is a climber. Uh, but I'll give you a unique answer on that one. I, I don't know if anybody no. said that yet, so I'm, I'm going to throw him out there. No, I appreciate that. It's terrific. Favorite coach of all time. My favorite coach of all time, I would have to say that would be my two coaches. I can't give you one. I got to give you two. First one was my dad because uh, my dad coached me all through Little League baseball, uh, Little League football, never allowed me to call him dad. I could only call him coach. Um, so the fact that he, you know, worked in the factory, um, you know, every day, all day, but made time to do that, that was really the only time that we got together. Um, and he never told me no if I wanted to play catch or anything else. So I'm, you know, extremely and eternally grateful for that. But besides him, I would have to say my high school football coach, Denny Price, uh, who was a phenomenal high school football coach from West Virginia. I may not have realized it at the time, um, but his lessons are, are paying huge, def- uh, huge dividends now. They were tough lessons back then, uh, but now as I became a man, I'm starting to figure out what he was trying to tell me, what he was trying to show me and help me with. Um, so, yeah, I, that was a very um, valuable time of my life, and he had a huge impact on me. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Only a couple, few more here. A favorite movie of all time. Favorite movie of all time. Oh man, that is, huh? I, I mean, that is a tough question, Mark. These are tougher than the other ones you're asking <laughs> me. You know what I mean? I, I would say a genre. 
of movie, you know, for me, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge comedy guy. I love to laugh. So like, if you could throw on anything, wedding crashers, uh, you know, old school, dumb and dumber, you throw on any of those genre of movies, old school, old school. Like that, I was going to say old it, school. Yeah. It, yeah. But if you could throw if that's on, I'm watching it. That's how, that's how All I right. kind of rank it. No matter time, how many times I've seen those, um, if you throw that on there, I'm watching it. So Perfect. yeah, I'll go with that. Oh, that's great. Jordan or LeBron? Jordan. Come on now. <laughs> I just got to get it out there. I want people to know. That's why <laughs> you just picked the side, coach. Sorry. <laughs> people have to know. I knew what the answer was. Last favorite book. Favorite book. Favorite book. Or if you can't do a favorite book, last book read that you like or think highly of. You know what? I'll give you, I can't really give you a favorite one right now. I will give you one that I read um, that resonated with me a lot. I really enjoyed Brett Bartholomew's Conscious Coaching yeah, book because cool, it, it was extremely great unique. Uh, it was something that I hadn't read like that. I mean, I've read a lot of you know training texts and things like that, but that was something that was I felt uh, filled a void that wasn't currently uh, addressed. So yeah. I'll, I'll throw my man Brett Bartholomew a bone on that one. Conscious coaching. If you're in coaching and training or training in anything, actually, you should read it. It is well thought out. A lot of uh, mindful uh, insight there. Um, there you go. Uh, favorite type of music? Favorite type of music. Now, I have an eclectic music taste because what I'm forced to listen, listen to. So we mostly listen to... Uh, we listen to hip hop when the guys change. I'll mess it up, throw some 90s R&B on there, uh, early 2000s R&B to keep them on their toes. Uh, if I'm in my truck or I'm with my family, we're usually listening to uh, uh, country music or, or something that's a little bit favorable to them. So it just depends on. So I, I'd have to throw those out there. Back in my earlier years, I always listened to like heavy metal or something like that when I trained and I realized I don't really need that anymore to get myself going. Um, so honestly, I spend a lot of time in silence. Uh, because I am constantly like, like just bombarded with music and people and sounds. Um, so the 15 minute ride in and the 15 minute ride home, complete solidarity and mm. silence is a huge part of my day. So You're right. but, uh, I hear but, you. But, yeah. I hear you. <laughs> Ari Gold said it best: "Silence is golden." <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I, I do have an eclectic uh, taste of music, as is. Uh, evident in my instagram story as most people will know <laughs> perfect favorite yeah favorite quote favorite quote oh man that that's another tough one because i'm a i'm a big uh i'm a big uh quote guy i think uh you know i got one on our weight room wall uh you know i think that uh, under pressure we do not rise to the occasion rather we sink to the level of our training I think that's just in life in general. I think you prepare and you perform, uh, and I think any doubt in performance is a direct reflection of our preparation. Um, so I think whether it's in business, whether it's in life, coaching, whatever, as a father, um, it all comes down to investment and being relentless with your preparation. So I had to throw that quote out there. Well said. Uh, mentor you could speak to. Mentor. Grateful I for. I tell you what, I'm, I got a handful of them, and I know you say a mentor, but – uh, Todd Hammer, uh, Tim Contos, um, those guys were huge. Um, Bill Gillespie was another person I've worked with in the past. Mort um, Cutchlow, Adam Davis, and of course uh, Danny Manny. Now um, those are mentors to me that I have to mention. Not just one, but all of them, because without them, each step in this process would not have happened. Um, so those are guys that took a chance on me 
um, and invested in my success and continue to walk that path with me. And they're kind of the reason why I'm coaching under the influence now and trying to do what we do as a staff and as a program. So I'll put those guys out there. Great. Last one. One word that you would hang in any uh, performance center or locker room. One word that's uh, incredibly important to you. Relentless. Relentless. Awesome, man. Great choice. Coach Horn, I can't thank you enough, man. That was incredible. Um, I'm going to shoot it over to you soon enough, but, man, thank you so much for making time. I know how busy you are with uh, leading those guys and with your family, but it means the world. I appreciate it very much. Hey, if I'm going to spend lunch with any professional, I'm glad it was you. So oh, man, I, might, I, might go, I, might go, I might go a little hungry today, but I just kind of hopefully I can uh, – Try to try to get as lean as you one day, so oh, you man. gotta look out for me. Oh, man. oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm gonna shoot you. I'm gonna call in some Mexican for you. But one more quick question, I forgot to ask: the significance behind the beard. Significance behind the beard. Um, you know, I think uh, beards are kind of like I, I was told that beards are kind of like makeup for dudes. Um, but apparently, I've never really gotten a compliment on my face without a beard. But everybody compliments me to tell me how awesome my beard is so i think that uh if anything continues to gas you up and make you feel good about yourself with compliments uh then i keep doing it but i have a 24-hour rule that if i want to shave it off which i have in the past i give myself 24 hours if i get a compliment on my beard i cannot shave it and so far uh i do trim it and and manscape it um but for right now it it, it stands the test of time so it's it's a it's an image of my patience and my persistence i love that i love that i thought it was you needed a beer of that length to get in the front row at the summer strong conference no not not at all man not at all not at all that that's probably the best best answer i can give you plus my wife and my kids are much more attractive than i am so it's good that's terrific coach Warren, <laughs> thank you so much man i really appreciate it best of the family best of the team and uh we'll talk to you soon thank you very much yes sir thank you very much Bye-bye. have a great day